0: And we are here, welcome to James Meadows Wrestling Show and our first episode of kind of this oral history of WCW. This is really the beginning, guys. This is it. I mean, Nitro changed wrestling forever. Nitro delivered us arguably the greatest faction in history of wrestling and then in the NWO. It gave us Goldberg, arguably the most over-superstar in wrestling history. It gave us a lot of highs, and good God did it give us a lot of lows. And we're going to go through every single bit of it. So this show is going to be a recap, review, and discussion on the first episode of Nitra. And these are going to be formatted, who knows how, moving forward. But uh, the way I think we'll do it is we'll just break down the episode, like the actual results of the episode, all that stuff, and then we'll go into a discussion of, of kind of either how I felt about it, how it impacted the business, behind the scenes, whatever, and then we'll go from there. So, now, now it is important, before we even start this, it is important to note that WCW did not start with Nitro. So, this is on September 4th, 1995, from the Mall of America in, in Minnesota. This is not like the first debut episode of WCW. This is... WCW had been happening for a while. They had a world champion in Hulk Hogan. They had bad guys. They had good guys. They had stuff happening. They had uh, storylines already set in place. This is just the first time that it got put to a national level. So, when I first went into it, I was kind of thinking, okay, it's like AEW's first episode where they're going to kind of establish people. They're going to start setting stuff up. And that is not how it happened at all. It was all pretty much already set up and they worked relatively hard to catch you up as fast as possible. Another thing to note is that the show is only an hour long. Without commercial breaks, the actual amount of time watching it is about 45 minutes. So there's a lot happening in 45 minutes, especially when you factor in that there's new commentators, There's everything's new to these people. They're not, they're not used to this show they're not used to a hard time, they're not used to ads, they're not used to commercial breaks, they're not used to any of that stuff. So you can feel that through the through the episode, but that's that's kind of that's kind of to be expected. So to catch you up because I had to google a little bit uh, of this. So to catch you up on exactly the storylines here, Hulk Hogan is your WCW champion. He's feuding with the Dungeon of Doom. Now, the Dungeon of Doom is led by Kevin Sullivan, and it is the biggest bunch of misfits of all time. The the Dungeon of Doom and Hogan is the biggest storyline on the show. It it, it, it totally it envelops the show. The show is almost like second fiddle to the Hogan Dungeon of Doom stuff. And it's weird, man, because the Dungeon of Doom... Is such a bunch of losers. So, uh, Kevin Sullivan is like five foot four. He's like blonde hair. He's kind of balding. He looks like, I mean, he's not. He looks like he's like the most unimposing bad guy of all time. He's he's like the Penguin in Batman, and in Batman the Penguin could get away with his stuff because he dealt with like other people, did his dirty work. Kevin Sullivan is supposed to be like the leader of this group. So Kevin Sullivan is simultaneously. Supposing, supposed to be intimidating, but he's also not intimidating at all. So it's really tough for Sullivan. Now, the other members of of this of this squad is you got. Let, let, me, let me look up the let me let me just read you let me just read you the Dungeon of Dooms. Uh, like where they hail from, it's unbelievable. These guys. I laugh every single time that I see them. So, here's the members of the Dungeon of Doom. So, the Taskmaster is Kevin Sullivan. Then you have Kamala. Then you have the Shark, who, if you remember Earthquake, from with Earthquake and Typhoon, that's the Shark. So, he's just some giant fat guy. Then you have the Zodiac. The Zodiac is... is uh, I believe is actually... Brutus Beefcake. But the Zodiac is this, like... He's black and white. He's yes or no. He's this, like, crazy character who doesn't make any sense at all. You have Ming, who is a bona fide badass, but he's kind of stuck in this group of, of, of losers. And then you have the Giant. Okay, so this, this is actually confusing here. So the Giant, a.k.a. The Big Show, a.k.a. Paul White... He's a member of the Dungeon of Doom, but he's MIA. So for the first few episodes, he's not even mentioned for whatever reason. It's kind of funny because when WCW is big on intros. Like Michael Buffer is doing all the intros, or Bruce Buffer, whichever, whichever one of the Buffer bros, is doing all these intros. And let me read where these people hail from. So the Taskmaster... I hope it show's on here. Okay, the Taskmaster... The Taskmaster hails from the Iron Gates of Fate. Then we have the Shark, who hails from the Great Barrier Reef. Then we have the Zodiac, who hails from the land of Yin and Yang. Then we have Ming, who hails from uh, the. It's like the. Let me see. It's not showing the full thing. But he hails from. It's like the golden, like the golden gates of Tonga or something like that. The golden city of Tonga, something like that. He 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 basically plays the part of some like uh, Oriental king kind of kind of deal. So when they're reading these people, and then Kamala's from Uganda. So when you're re- reading this or listening to it, and he's like, all right, now uh, the taskmaster from the Iron Gates of Destiny or or whatever it was, and then you have Kamala from Uganda and the shark from. ...the Great Barrier Reef... ...and the Zodiac... ...from the land of Yin and Yang... ...and Ming from the... ...the golden city of Tonga... ...and you're sitting you're like... ...man what the hell am I even listening to? ...and then the whole time they're walking down... ...the whole time that they're walking down... ...like just go Google... ...the shark... ...please... ...just go Google the shark WCW... ...they're so fat... ...they're so out of shape... ...most of the time... ...and you'll see it I think in this episode... Most of the time, they struggle even to even get to the damn ring. Like sometimes stuff's already happened before they get to the ring. But anyway, so that's the main storyline that you need to be caught up on. That like holds the entire show together. Um, so so we'll get into the actual show now. But just know, Hogan is your WCW champion. He's feuding with the Taskmaster and the entire Dungeon of Doom. That's the whole deal. And we're leading up into their first pay per view, which is Fall Brawl. So we have two nitros and then Fall Brawl. So a lot of what's being mentioned is mentioning, you know, the Fall Brawl matchups with a Dungeon of Doom. Something else that I want to talk about, before we'll we'll do it after after the after the recap. So here's the show. So the first ever Nitro, the debut from the Mall of America in Minnesota. Uh, we have so the way that it's set up is it's in the actual like mall. It's not in the parking lot. It's in the mall. There's an escalator going on behind it. It's a damn food court. Um, there, I mean, it's it's you got suplexes, Chinese food, and a steakhouse like all in the same shot. It's really something else, man. You got you got Ric Flair wrestling, and then behind him is an escalator of 150 people with shopping bags next to a you know like like an Italian restaurant. So our our three headed monster. Commentator team is Eric Bischoff, and we all know, we all know Eric Bischoff, but it's not the Eric Bischoff you know and love and that I know and love. It's just kind of a squirmy, he's almost like a Michael Cole. He's, he's, he's your play-by-play, he's your clean-cut, he's your young, he's the energy throughout the show pretty much. Then you have oh, Steve Mongo McMichael. Steve Mongo McMichael is the edgy... He's like JBL on commentary. He's kind of like the heel guy or whatever. He's so bad. I mean, he, he gets worse and worse. He's so bad. He is a walking, like, your mama joke. He's just so predictable. He is obviously incredibly scripted. Mongo is going to just say his line no matter what is going on. Mongo is more of a deterrent to the show than anything else. And then the third announcer is Bobby Heenan. So Mongo and Bischoff and start the show. Heenan comes out as the third announcer. Heenan and Mongo go for a handshake, and Mongo has an electric buzzer in his hand. An absolutely classic prank, classic Mongo. I'm not making this up. Okay, this is 1995 in a nutshell. We got an let the first thing we get is an electric buzzer prank from Mongo. So, Mongo and Heenan have this kind of big brother, little brother rivalry kind of the whole time. And just like Mongo, Mongo is so focused on the Heenan thing. You you can tell that in the back they told him, like, all right, you and Heenan are kind of like butting heads. So, Mongo thinks that every single time Heenan says something, Mongo has to disagree or, like, degrade Heenan. And so, it takes away a lot of the times of what's even happening. Because you'll get, like, a wrestling match going on. Heenan will say something. And then Mongo will be like, Yeah, well, you're looking pretty fat in those uh, pants there, Heenan. And then Heenan kind of like throws a jab at Mongo. And then all of a sudden, you get no wrestling talk. And you just get 40 seconds of Mongo fat jokes to Heenan. You're like, well, what am I even listening to? So the first match ever, and everything's flying because it's only 45 minutes. So they got to shove all this in there. The first match you ever see is Justin Thunder Leaguer from NJPW, and he he comes on out. So he's facing Brian Pillman. It's really interesting that they choose this match to open up the show, because this... First of all, one of the wrestlers isn't even a WCW wrestler with uh, Justin Leaguer, but he's not even a WCW guy. So the first guy you see isn't even from WCW. He's like a contract worker from New Japan. And... You can tell that they're already saying, like, we aren't the WWF. WWF at this point is big, huge guys, you know, the Diesels, the the people like that, the Undertakers. And this, they're already telling you, that ain't us. They're already telling you, you want to go watch uh, Yokozuna? You want to go watch Diesel? You want to go watch Psycho Sid? Go over there. We're giving you... Masked wrestlers, something that definitely wasn't done in, D- in WWF at this point. They're giving you, you know, Brian Pillman even is kind of uh, an aerial wrestler. So it's a very different style of wrestling match for sure. So the tagline is WCW where the big boys play. There's even like a, uh, a cardboard sign that's the only sign front and center. So And commentary is hammering that. So WCW where the big boys play. Is the line during the match? Mongo drops a Bobby Hernia reference. Just classic Mongo. Uh, Pillman gets the win eventually. With it, and, I mean, it's a good match. Decent little back and forth match. It was fast paced. Some aerial spots. A couple of botches, but nothing too crazy. I mean, botches like you got to think these guys are not used to this style. Like Leaguer is, I guess. But Pillman, like asking Pillman. I'm guessing there's probably a pretty serious language barrier between Pillman and Leaguer. So for for him just to come in from Japan, wrestle in this mall, they tell him, hey, go give us seven minutes or whatever, four minutes, and and flip all over the damn place, you're going to expect a couple botches. But it it, it was a decent little match. So Pillman gets the win. Not bad at all to to start us off. So then we have a vignette with Sting. And this is the first time we see Sting. And this is old school Sting. So this is a neon Sting. This is, like, I mean, he's Technicolor. he, He is Sting in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. This is not a black and white Sting. And in this vignette, he's wearing this very nice little purple and pink combo. And he calls out Ric Flair. So he's got, he's got something to say to Flair. Sting is also, at this point, the U.S. champion. So he's already a champion as well. So then, this this might be this may be my, my favorite part of the entire damn show. So we go to Bischoff and Hogan. I can't, like, think about this. This is the first Nitro. This is Hulk Hogan. Switching from WWF to WCW, they are trying to make themselves a legitimate wrestling program. All we've seen so far is Pillman and Leaguer, and we've had a Sting vignette where he calls out Flair. We finally see Hogan, and this is what they do. Hogan is at his restaurant in the mall. His restaurant is a pasta place, and the name of his restaurant is Pasta Mania. His big item that he's pushing is called his hulkaroos and I guess they're like spaghettios. They look like spaghettios. And he's got his Hulkaroos. And they're like I mean they're surrounded by people, and all these people are just like holding pasta. He's there's it's the most insane thing you've ever seen. I mean this is your first show. The biggest star in the company, maybe the biggest wrestling star of all time, and the first time I see him, he's pushing his damn pasta. I heard Pasta Mania and Pasta Maniacs probably 30 times in this one little segment. But WCW's own world heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan, he's got Pasta Mania in the Mall of America. I want to try to get a word with him if I can squeeze in there. Hulk Hogan, coming up, debut edition of Monday Nitro, you've got Big Bub in the main event. Who's the greatest wrestler in the world? You know something, Eric Bischoff? Tonight on Monday Nitro, Pasta Mania has got all my Hulkamaniacs running wild. And I've eaten so many Hulkaroos and Hulkews, I kind of feel sorry for Big Bubba, brother, because tonight... They don't talk about wrestling at all. They don't talk about WCW. They don't talk about WWF. If you were to ask me, is not competing against WWF. WCW's competing against Chef Boyardee. So we transition from Alfredo to Rick Flair's entrance. That's like the next thing. We go from the Hulkaroos to Flare's time. Flare's entering. So Sting is wearing every possible color in the rainbow. And it's Sting versus Flair. Non-title match, Sting versus Flare. Luger, now this is a famous shot you've all seen, but Lex Luger arrives. Luger arrives almost the exact time Sting comes out. So Flair comes out, Sting comes out, Sting is barely in the ring, and Luger walks out. And he's just staring at the ring. And it's so rushed, because there's no music really, there's no pomp and circumstance, Like the, the crowd can barely even see, you can barely even see Luger, no one really knows who's who, and so Luger's just staring there. And a note is that they announce Flair as an 11-time champion. And it's always interesting to hear that. You hear an 11-time champ, Ric Flair. And you know, we all know there's five more coming. But, so Luger just walks out, and Luger doesn't stay there for the whole time. So Luger just kind of comes out. They kind of mention, like, what is he doing here? Getting the hell out of here. And then Luger turns around and just goes back to the locker room. Very weird. Then Arn Anderson comes out. Now, it's important to note that r Anderson and Ric Flair have beef at this time. So, they're kind of beefing kind of in the middle of Nitro's debut. So, that's already a setup storyline that if you're just tuning in, you, you, you wouldn't know. But, yeah. So, Anderson and Flair are squabbling, and they're going to eventually have a match at Fall Brawl. Uh, they, they kind of do some stuff as far as Sting and Flair. Uh, Flair holds onto the ropes during a figure four, gets disqualified. Arne gets involved. And they do some brawling. So, that's so much happening. The actual match was fine. It was Flair and Sting. I mean, these guys have wrestled a thousand times. If, you ever, if you've ever seen a Sting-Flair match, this was a Sting-Flair match. And But think about what happened. So, Flair comes out. Sting comes out. Luger comes out. Flair and Sting wrestle. Anderson comes out. Flair gets disqualified. Anderson gets in the ring. Anderson brawls with Flair. So, a lot to take in there. Next... Out of no, out of freaking nowhere, Scott Norton comes out. Scott Norton, another um, guy who made his made you know was made famous in, in New Japan. Scott Norton comes out. And he's pissed. He he comes out and he's just screaming at people. Not not like anyone in general. He's just fired up. No one knows what the hell is going on. There's no like again. There's no music. There's no nameplate. There's no. Nothing. This is just some strange guy in a sleeveless plaid kind of outfit just screaming at the commentators. The announcers don't say a damn word. The announcers don't say anything like, oh my god, this is Scott Norton. Scott Norton, what the hell are you doing here? The announcers are totally silent. So all you see and hear is Scott Norton screaming at these announcers. He's just screaming at Mongo. Mongo's like laughing at him. Classic Mongo. And Heenan's kind of just not... I think Heenan actually left the, left the scene. Uh, Bischoff is hanging out. So th- this was obviously a mistake. Like, this, this was not probably how it was supposed to be. And Mongo did his best, honestly, to kind of ruin the entire thing. Because Norton's, you know, a debuting, a debuting guy. And Mongo just, like, laughs in his face. So Mongo's already trying to kill the push of this guy. Macho Man comes out. And kind of saves the day. Macho Man comes out and he's like, Oh my God, it's Scott Norton. This is me, brother. Lance Norton. Glad you're in a WCW Wondering when you were going to get here. You want a reputation? How about the Macho Man Randy Savage? Is that good enough for you? Dig it? Macho Man. What are we waiting for? Let's do it. We're not waiting for nothing. Let's do it right now that's the first time we ever hear who is, who this is if you don't watch if you're at, if at this point you're not watching new japan you have no clue who this is and thank god for the macho man he it's kind of funny because when he comes out he's like look who it is scott norton from new japan pro wrestling like he does his best to give us a very brief um, a very brief bio there so Macho comes out and he he tells us all this stuff about Norton. Then Ma- Macho says that he wants a match. So Macho wants a match with Norton. Bischoff stops the whole thing and Bischoff says they can't do that because it's not signed. This is still back in the day when everything's got to be signed with the commissioner and all that stuff. So he so Bischoff so now it's a, it's a scrum. Okay, it's a scrum now. So imagine Bischoff in the middle of Norton and. Macho Man. There's security everywhere. Macho Man and Norton want a wrestling match, but Bischoff won't allow it because Bischoff says the commissioner won't allow it. In the middle of the scrum, Bischoff is holding a microphone, and Bischoff transitions to a video package announcing that Sabu is coming to Nitro. Norton is still on the screen, screaming at Macho Man, and Bischoff has his back to them and is facing the camera and he's like oh man check this out next week on Nitro Sabu Sabu's debuting and Norton and Macho are going after it I mean this is rushed like you talk about rushed this is rushed this 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 is probably the biggest like screw up of of the entire show where you're watching you're like man what the hell am I even looking at because there's just so much happening and it, it was all just so bad so we get a Sabu package, then we get another package with Mr. Wall Street, aka to aka IRS. So it's just a back, like a back, like a pre-filmed, uh, like a pre-filmed little video package there where he's announcing himself. Now he's Mr. Wall Street is Ted DiBiase. He even does like a laugh. He's got, it, he's just a rich guy, Wall Street guy, made tons of money. And he's also a wrestler or something. So it's, it's kind of cool, though. He makes a little reference to the IRS. He says, I'm sure the IRS is going to be watching me. Which cheeky little reference as he was the IRS in the WWF. So there's that. So we move on from that to our main event. So our main event is Big Bubba Rogers, a.k.a. the Big Boss Man. And he's out to face the leader of the pasta world order, the leader of the freaking pasta Maniacs, Hulk Hogan. So Hogan has the, I'll give Hogan this. Hogan has the crowd absolutely losing their freaking mind. It's either Hogan or all the carbs they just had. I, I, I'm not really sure, but unbelievable. I mean, this guy. Look, you can't deny what it is. I mean, Hogan. Hogan had. He, if he was running for president at this point, he he would have won Minnesota, for sure. Um, during this little opening, we hear that next week Norton versus Macho Man has been signed. I can't, I can't wait. So we get Norton Macho Man. Let's go, uh, Boss Man. I, t- I tell you this about Boss Man or um, Big Bubba Rogers. He's unbelievable. He's so damn good. He's so athletic. I mean, he he really kind of carries this match. He's so. I don't know if him and Hogan just had really good chemistry, or if he was just a good, good working partner for Hogan, or whatever, but. He he was so good. He was so agile. He was huge. He was strong. He was quick. Boss man was was, was great. Um, Hogan gets the win in classic Hogan fashion. He boots. He leg drops. He hulks up. He he wins. So easy little victory there. Now t- Sullivan and the Dungeon of Doom. These jabronis come to the ring. Now. They come to the ring, and like I said earlier, I, literally Luger is out there before the entire Dungeon of Doom is there. Luger beat Shark to the ring. Luger is in the ring saving Hogan before Shark can get his big ass dorsal fin down there. It's so embarrassing to watch. So Luger, then Sting, and Savage come down. So now we have Luger, Sting, Savage, Hogan against the Dungeon of Doom. Hulk Hulk is pissed. Hulk is absolutely livid at this point. This is the first time that he's seen Luger. This is the first time that he it really is like brought into all this. He just got jumped by the Dungeon of Doom. Half these guys are wearing face paint. They're disgusting. So Hulk, Hulk is not happy. What he, what he really needs is a bowl of damn Hulkaroos. But So they do a little promo. It's Mean Gene, uh, the, the Postomaniacs, and the, the Dungeon of Doom is out at this point. And Hulk is basically saying, like, what the hell are you doing here, Luger? Luger is trying to explain why he's there. He's not doing a great job of it. Savage is staying just kind of bouncing around. So they, they, they go back and say, like, WCW is the major leagues. WCW. Luger's saying, hey, I want to be here because I want to be facing the best. A couple shots at WBF. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Next Monday, this, this comes out of nowhere, next Monday, Luger asked, or Luger asks Hulk for a title shot. Hulk tells him, I'll give you a damn title shot next Monday. So now, everything, I mean, hey, if we're rushing, let's rush everything. So we go through this whole show, boom, Luger debuts, and then bam, he's got a damn title shot next week. So next week, in Miami, we're getting Luger v. Hogan for the world title. Crazy stuff. And that's the show. And then they, they they bounce out of there. So, I mean, it was super rushed, and they really probably didn't need to have certain matches, to, to be honest. Like, they didn't need to have Flair Sting. On one hand, I guess you do. Because on one hand, I guess you do need to have... You need to show off who you have. You need to show off. Hey, we have Sting and Flair, so let's have Sting and Flair wrestle. But maybe not have. Like, there's just so much packed in there. I mean, just from vignettes, you know, we get Norton debut, Wall Street package, Sabu package. That's three packages. Then you got the Pillman Leaguer match. Then you have the Hogan Bossman match. You have Flair Sting match. You have the Norton Macho Man run-in. You know, it's just like, you probably could have cut some of that. Like, the Hogan thing, I get that you want to showcase Hogan. Fine. But maybe don't do the Pillman. If this is your first show and you only have 40 minutes, maybe just do the Hogan match, the Flair match, and then do the run-ins, and then the packages, and that's it. That's it. And you don't have to rush everything as bad. One thing that is very interesting and something that took me by surprise immediately was when you are watching this it's almost like a play. It's so different than watching it for the first time and I had never seen like this this episode obviously when I was whatever 6 years old. But when you go back and watch it they are and I'm not I'm not trying to say that, you know, the writers or JK Rowling here, but they are setting up the most pivotal things in wrestling history right now. And it's very obvious. It's not like it's accidental. It's very obvious that they're setting this up. One of the things that really stuck out to me was the relationship between Hogan and Sting. So Hogan is you know, the pasta maniac leader. He is red and, red and gold, he, or red and yellow. He is, he is Hulkamania through and through. Luger coming out kind of throws Hogan for a loop. And Luger has Hogan questioning kind of loyalties. Sting, neon Sting, happy boy, smiling faces Sting, is the guy who's holding it all together. So he is the guy who's telling Hogan, hey, dude, you can trust us, brother. You can trust us. I'm your boy. If this is a TV show or a movie or something, Sting is basically playing the second... Fiddle. He, he's kind of the, he's the Kanicki if you have ever seen Greece. Hogan's John Travolta, and Sting is Kanick. He he's the guy who it's like he's ju- he's almost on the level of Hogan, but he's not quite there yet. But a lot of fans probably like him more than Hogan. But they're but they're buds, they're BFFs, they're boys, they're boys. If Hogan was getting married after this Nitro, Sting would probably be his best man. And Savage is kind of the guy who is the prickly, untrusting... He he is way more abrasive to Luger than Sting is. Sting is the guy telling Hogan, look, dude, just trust us, brother. Just trust us. Trust Luger. Let let him, let him see what he's got to say. And when you know what's coming, what's coming is Hogan turning into Hollywood Hulk Hogan, you understand then why Sting reacted the way he reacted. You understand that Sting had to go... This Crow thing. He had to go into black and white Sting. And then when Hogan created the NWO, no wonder Sting was so obsessed with getting rid of the NWO. No wonder Sting was hell-bent on ridding WCW of the NWO. Because Sting was the one that was most burnt. Sting was the one that was upset. His best friend basically turned his back on him and sold him, sold him up the river... Along with Savage and everybody else, Sting. I mean, it's very poetic the way that WCW did this and the way that the storyline at least is playing out. Hogan, you would not notice back then, but Hogan reacts to Luger and he reacts to the group and he has a little bit of a little bit of this darkness to him, where in his eyes you can see that he's kind of thinking. Twisted thoughts, I guess. He, he's, not, he's, not the, he's not reacting as pure as you would expect Hulk Hogan. The Hulkamania, the Hulkaroos, you know, the pasta. He's not reacting how you would expect that character to react. And that's something that really made me appreciate what I was watching. Because it could have just been, you know, classic whatever. Classic Hogan, classic everybody. But and, and this may it may have been an accident, it may absolutely, it may have been an accident, but they are really, really, really laying the seeds for Hogan, the NWO, all that stuff. Now, I have no clue how far along this was. I have no clue how far along the writing was. you know, did Bischoff know he would be who he was? Did he know who Hogan was? Or who he would be? Did the was the NWO really kind of created the, at this point already? Was the stain gimmick already kind of created already? I, I'm not sure because right now you're it's almost like a smokescreen. You're getting the smokescreen of Dungeon of Doom with the this group of misfits. Then you have the smokescreen of Hogan defending his title against Luger, but really it's all a diversion for Hogan turning. I mean, it's the ultimate M. Night Shyamalan twist. I'm sitting here worried about Kamala. I'm sitting here worried about the shark from the Great Barrier Reef. And then I'm worried about Luger getting the title shot when all we really should be worried about is Hogan. But no one's worried about Hogan. So it's actually kind of brilliant writing. And I can't wait to see... At this point, I can't wait to see the turn. Because I I know, obviously, because I'm from the future... But I know that every single thing we're watching... Flair... I mean, uh, Savage... Well, I guess Flair, because Flair and Sting's whole thing. But Savage... Directly... Savage, Sting, Luger, Hogan... All in the ring at the end of this episode. All of them will be... Incredibly impacted by Hogan's turn. And it's coming. It's coming real soon. So... These huge characters are about to take an enormous step in a, in a different direction than how they're being presented on the very first show. Again, I can't stress this enough. This show, this, the idea that, okay, we're starting a whole new thing. We're starting a brand new federation. And the biggest star in wrestling history, we got him. He's our, he's our dude. The big coupe, we got it from WWF, and what are we going to do with them? We're going to turn them, heel and start a whole new faction called the NWO, and that's going to be the backbone of WCW. The it, it's I don't want to be overdramatic, but the genius that it took to do that is second to none. It's so so awesome to see or to you know what eventually will be this whole arc. It's like biblical. It's like a biblical story what they did with Hulk Hogan, and uh, I I really can't wait for it. The show was fine. I mean, as far as a review, this I'm not I'm not going to do like five star match. I'm not going to do match reviews. If I match reviewed every single review, like at that point, what what am I even doing? If I just usher out three star. A three-star review for you know Disco Inferno versus Horace Hogan. So I'm not I'm not gonna, I'm not going to go full Meltzer on you here, but I, you know the 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 program was fine. It was I, I would say the biggest issue with the show was the actual technical stuff. The commentators, just the timing of the show, the forty minutes, the you know that everything was rushed. The setting is also really hard. They have, they can't control anything. They're doing it in the, in a mall food court, so it's not like it's not like they're in an arena where they can kind of control the Titantron, they can control the ramp, they can control the walkway. I mean, that you know, it sounds like a joke. But they're they're honestly like next to like a praline shop. They're next to a candy store. So you got Lex Luger entering from a store selling bonbons. He's wearing just white like a white button up. He's in a sea of people. You can barely even see Luger. You know, so it's it's some of the stuff is out of their control. But I thought for the most part it was fine. I'm sure if we were there it was awesome. i am seeing these guys wrestle in that much of an intimate setting. But next episode in Miami, we're actually going to what will become the, the stage that you all know and love from Nitro. So we're actually getting the full Nitro experience next week. And again, these episodes are about 45 minutes long. And next week's also is like 45 minutes long. So the time, the rushedness of the episodes... Kind of remain, but it does get a little bit better because it's a little more controlled versus having so much happening in a mall. I mean, a mall, a mall food court is not like the best place ever to have a wrestling match, unless you're Hulk Hogan and you own you know the 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 pot the Hulkamania Pasta Mania Pasta Garden. Then then it's okay, but that was the very first Nitra. That is absolute history. Good stuff. If nothing else, I would say to go back and rewatch the last like two minutes just to see just to see if you see what I'm talking about with Hogan. If you see where when Luger is in the ring and they're all in the ring, a Sting is kinda of like helping Hogan, trying to be the good guy. If you can see what I saw in Hogan's eyes, and when you know what's coming, that final two minutes is very telling. But that is the first episode of our oral history of WCW. Please, guys, go ahead and follow me on socials and let me know what you think. If any formatting needs to change or what you liked, what you didn't like, all that stuff. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at James underscore Skermetta, Skrmetta, S K R M E T T A. These podcasts right here, the audio version will be available anywhere podcasts are published. And also, you can find the video version on YouTube. Find James Scramato on wrestling on YouTube. So thank you for listening, guys. I will see you next week live in Miami.